You are listening to audio from Riverside Church. If you would like to check out more resources, please visit riverside.church. Well, good morning, all. I'm Jess, one of the pastors around here. I'm excited to be with you all this morning. Let's pray before we get into this text. Heavenly Father, we're thankful to be together uh, in spirit, in uh, the physical nature. God, those who are with us watching from afar who will watch this later on. God, we're thankful to be uh, the priesthood of believers today and and gather um, in lots of different spaces uh, with our focus on you. So we pray that Uh, in this space, in this time this morning, that you would be present, that your words would be clear, that your truth and encouragement and challenge to us, God, would be clear and would meet us where we are in this morning, God. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your care for us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, Andrew had four verses last week, and then said, here's about 15 as he leaves and just gives me my first run at uh, solo pastoring. So I am excited about this large chunk of scripture. Also, it's a large chunk of scripture. You heard Miriam read it beautifully, and there is a lot here. And a lot in this series uh, about these two words, truth and love, which is why This is aptly named True Love. Uh, But there's also this other major theme, especially in John's gospel and here in what we're reading today, of light. You probably heard it several times in those first verses, walking in the light, right? So throughout the next few weeks, we're going to hear these themes, truth, love, light. And it may, again, be obvious, but I think today as we enter into something that invites us into light we will not miss out on also this theme of true love as well. Well, light is a pretty common theme in the Bible. You are very familiar with it in even just what it represents in the world. Light represents lots of different things. In the Gospel of John, there's a section, there are 23 occurrences of the word light in just 16 verses. All right, that's a lot, kind of crammed into 16 verses. And though the rest of John maybe dances around it or doesn't say it as much, this theme of light is pretty present in his writing and in his letters. Whenever you read something, the, the scripture, a book, an essay, you are always looking for that main point, the thesis statement, right? There are written communication and English teachers all around the world who, if they could just get this right with students, a thesis statement, we'd be good. Uh, and sometimes it's not that easy. But John seems to listen to his written communication teachers, and he gives us a really clear thesis statement right here at the beginning. His main message, God is light. Last week, Andrew preached on these four verses, and they invited us into this fellowship with one another and with God. And what they were alluding to What they had seen and heard and experienced was this main message, that God is light. And in him, there is no darkness. 
Let's pause there and, and remind ourselves that this is good news. This thematic use of light, as we just mentioned, is, is a common thing. It's used historically to represent good and evil, the positive and the negative. In scripture, light is often a metaphor for God and represents a number of different things. It's the property of the world that God created, the very first. It produces and sustains life. Light can represent safety, pleasure, revealing what is hidden. Light is also this use, uh, is used as a synonym for Christ himself, specifically in the beginning of John's gospel. This is where he uses the word light pretty often. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. I told you he uses a lot. Well, for many years, I was a college resident director here in this area, and I saw the effects of light on our students. Living in this area in the Midwest, we named this kind of weird time between January and maybe March or April as permacloud season. You know it well. The sun often doesn't come out in, in a span of weeks. But as I walked around with students, I could tell that the hovering of the grayness really affected them. Our counseling services did a lot to provide uh, light therapy, conversation. We did our best to provide events and do fun things that would kind of get us through it. But that first sunny day, maybe in March or a rare February, you can feel the difference in the atmosphere. Dare I say, it is lighter. <laughs> It's more hopeful. Light has that effect on us. It has all these incredible properties for life and growth, but it also aids our sleep, our moods, our behavior. When sleep training babies or figuring out how to sleep through the night as adults, the recommendation is often get outside, expose yourself to the sun and the light. That somehow helps us with sleep. I don't understand the science of it, but they say it works. I think this is also the case with light in our life today. It is essential to our life, but it also greatly adds value to our life. The message that God is light and is void of darkness, this is language that resonates with us. We know what a single candle does in a dark room. We know what a walk in the sunshine does to our souls. In light of a good thesis statement, yes, that is a pun, accidentally, I'll attempt to give you my own thesis statement. So John did it for us in this section. But today I want us, this is really ironic that this light is not as uh, bright as it could be here. Our thesis statement today, or where we're heading, is if God is light, we get to be people of the light. And there are two specific ways that John calls followers to live in the light here. You might see this behind us. Yeah. Two ways, acknowledging and confessing our sin and being obedient. As people of the light, these are the two ways here that John is instructing us to live. Easy breezy, right? Just confess, be obedient, this is the way. Well, let's unpack it a bit. It's the first verse of our, in the first verse of our passage, John delivers good news and again invites us into this fellowship here. We heard this last week, this idea of union with God and union with other believers. That is what makes our joy complete. We are excited about that kind of fellowship. But fellowship is connected with walking in the light. As I mentioned before, there are all these ways that scripture uses light to convey meaning. 
But here, light represents what scholar Karen Jobes refers to as a standard of human morality and spirituality. Remember, God is light. So to walk in the light means we are called to this higher moral standard. Sin is the opposite of that standard. So walking in the darkness, as John says, is what separates us from fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. More on that later. Here is our hefty reality. Darkness separates us from God. In the same breath, though, we are reminded of Christ. Because of Christ, this is not the end of the story, right? The reality of sin is a sobering reality. It's not the most fun thing to talk about. It's not easy on the stomach to face sin in the world. Often we see it. It's prevalent. It's everywhere. It's in racism and greed and pride and abuse. We see the effects of darkness and sin on our neighbors, on the world around us, and it's, it's heavy. Here in the next few verses, though, we see a more specific invitation to acknowledge our personal sin. Again, not fun. John is not mincing his words here. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. Sin is the reality of the broken relationships and the, the darkness of the world. Systems, people, relationships. It is dark. But it's also a reality within each of us. To be people of the light, we must see ourselves with our, that same sobering humility. Acknowledging our sin is part of walking in the light. But then there's this beautiful other piece of fellowship with God. We name our sin, we call it what it is, and then we confess it. We can name and acknowledge sin, just say it into the world and it's there. But confession is a relational, interpersonal practice. We are engaging with another in confession. It's naming our sin for what it is, calling it sin, but then it's offering it in the, the sober humility to Christ. It's the work of Christ then that makes fellowship with him possible. Job sums this up well. To walk in the light means to be cleansed from our sin. People don't need just more good ethical instruction. Rather, they need purification from all that separates them from the presence and purpose of God. Christ's atonement for sin achieves a reconciliation with God that restores that fellowship. Amen. I appreciate this description of sin here. We don't have a large list of do's and don'ts, but Job's is giving us maybe a more broad, helpful definition here. All that separates us from the presence and purpose of God. Today is the first Sunday of Lent. And it feels appropriate to pause and reflect on the ways we've distanced ourselves from God. Earlier this week, Andrew and I spoke these words to a handful of you who gathered at the Ash Wednesday service. Remember, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Repent and believe the good news of Jesus. There is a reality of our sin juxtaposed with the reality of God's grace and forgiveness, what Christ has done for us. These first few verses of chapter 2 imply that even as we walk closely with Jesus, it is likely we will sin. And when we do, we have an advocate in Jesus. This is not an excuse, says scholar Stephen Smalley, but rather a universal and challenging assurance that we can be delivered from sin's power, if not its presence, through the offering of Jesus. 
John's charge to us is not perfection necessarily, but humility and posture. It's repentance over ignorance or dismissal of our sin. People of the light acknowledge their sin and and practice confession here, knowing full well that God is faithful to forgive and lead us towards righteousness. Which brings us to the second half of today's passage. So I won't read all of this, but I believe it's behind me. Yeah. We're talking about confession, and now we kind of lead into this, this second instruction from John, obedience. People of the light are people who follow God's commands. If God is light and our moral standard, as we just established, part of walking in the light means we will be formed to the likeness of Christ. A few weeks ago, I I preached on something similar. As I talked about prayer, I entered into John 15. So if these words from 1 John sound familiar, it's because they are. These words, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you so this so that your joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. It sounds so similar to what John is saying in this first chapter of, of 1 John. John is emphasizing the vital connection between knowing God and obeying God of loving God and following his commands. And for John, as N.T. Wright tells us, this commandment, they're all summed up in one word, love. Wright goes on to remind us that the life of God's new age is revealed as the love of God's new age. All other commandments, the detail of what to do and not to do, are the outflowing of this love, the love which has been newly revealed in Jesus, the love which God now intends should be revealed in and through all those who follow Jesus. And though John may be painting with broader strokes at first, he gets very specific about obedience in one area, love for our brothers and sisters. His warnings against walking in darkness are clear, and and they're kind of stern. It feels like the serious instruction from an older brother. I wonder where we might take this command less seriously sometimes. Are there ways we minimize obedience here? Surely God knows how annoying that person is. I'm focusing on loving, you know, others in my life. I can't focus on this person. It's too difficult, too draining. I'm justified in my dislike of this person. They've ignored me or hurt my feelings. I'm just going to be done with them. It's not worth trying to love them anymore. Earlier this week, I typed all of these hypothetical thoughts out on this page And I felt this kind of ick as I wrote them. These are thoughts I have had. That's why they came so quickly, (laughs) typed out on this page. I have people in my life, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, who I have not loved well. At times I know I've really hurt them, sometimes very intentionally. I've been in the darkness. I've walked around in it, as John says. I've lived in it as if it were okay and acknowledged it as nothing that big or nothing important. I have not named it for what it is at times, sin. I don't know about you, but I don't really want to walk around in darkness. Practically speaking, it's just difficult. You stumble, you bump into things. If light has such a profound and positive effect on us, darkness certainly does the opposite. With Ash Wednesday just days behind us, I'm reminded of the ways we enter this season of Lent. We enter with the knowledge that we are sinners 
and our sin is part of the darkness in the world. We're called into reflection and repentance, into remembrance. Though the combination of Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday is a bit unusual, it also brought love and death together in a beautiful way this year. Tish Harrison Warren says this about this odd overlap of the holidays. We smudge crosses of ash on our foreheads as a way to remember death, but also to recall that God has graciously given us eternal life through the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus, who laid down his life for his friends. As Christians, we are not reveling in death while the culture around us embraces love and laughter. On the contrary, we too are celebrating love, a love more substantial and costly than we can imagine, a love that's unsentimental, yet endlessly passionate, a love that defeated sin and death, that woos us, forgives us, and calls us both his friends and his bride. As people of the light, we get to celebrate the love and work of Christ, the truest of loves that makes a way for us to have fellowship with God and with one another. And as people of the light, we are called to acknowledge and confess our sins, We obey God's commands and take seriously his call to love one another. These are high standards, high callings. I don't pretend to say that this is easy and just go do it. (laughs) But the caller is the one who calls us friend. And even in the midst of sin and darkness, we are anchored in the greater reality of resurrected love. Before we come to the table today, It feels fitting, again, to to recognize this season of repentance and confession and remembrance. So we're going to do something a little bit different. And we are going to, together, pray a prayer of confession. And if you were at the Ash Wednesday service at 7 or noon this past week, these words um, are the same words that we uttered in that space. But if you would all stand with me, and this is... uh, something that will be behind me, where it's bold and says all together, that's something we'll all say, and then there will be instruction of, of how to follow along. As we read these words, I just ask you to consider just pausing and letting these words sink in and and. This may, again, not be a normal practice for you or something as comfortable as um, other, other spiritual practices, but we are, are, are people who need Jesus. And so today, as we say these words together, I pray that we would be more aware of who Christ is and how he meets us in our, in our need and our sin and our confession. So all together, let's read these words. Most holy and merciful Father, we confess to you and to one another and to all believers in heaven and on earth, that we have sinned by our own fault in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not forgiven as we have been forgiven. Have mercy on us. We have ignored your call to serve as Christ served us. We have not been true to the mind of Christ. Mercy on us, Jesus. Forgive us, Lord, for the wrongs we have done. 
for our lack of compassion to human need and suffering and our indifference to injustice and cruelty. Forgive us, Lord Jesus. For all false judgments, for unkind thoughts toward our neighbors, and for our prejudice and contempt towards those who differ from us. Forgive us, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, complete in us the work of your salvation through the cross and resurrection of your Son, our Lord, that we might show your goodness in the world. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Riverside Church. For more resources, visit riverside.church.